0: uh this is flora sapio from uh, università degli studi orientale of naples italy and i'm talking to you from uh rome tonight on the 11th of april 2020 and uh tonight with us we have um as a guest professor levica baker who we are interviewing um as part of our interview series um, on the COVID-19 conference that will be held on April the 17th from 9 30 a.m to 12 30 p.m u.s east coast time so let me welcome professor backer
1: well thank you flora it's uh, delightful to be here and to be on the other side of the camera this time
0: yeah exactly and thank you for agree agreeing to to be interviewed uh, i guess that uh, most of our viewers uh, tonight and in the uh, days leading up to the covid and international affairs workshop would uh, benefit from uh, your perspective on the current crisis and uh, uh, in order to introduce the the seminar and to give everyone an opportunity to learn something more on the on the ongoing crisis I'd like to ask you um, a, a few general questions about um, you know the ongoing events and the
1: ongoing crisis okay that would be delightful just be gentle with me
0: <laughs> no, I'll try to be I'll try to ask you really really very simple and uh, um, very general questions and uh, the, the the first question actually will be, or I should say, is about the the seminar uh, itself. Like in these days, in these weeks, um, there have been quite a few conferences and events on the coronavirus crisis, but most of them have been about the disease itself, or else they have examined the responses that various national governments are providing to the coronavirus, yet the the conference that you are organizing seems to be quite different in that it is completely focused on international affairs. Could you explain to us why you are focusing on international affairs rather than other aspects of the coronavirus?
1: All right, well, thank you very much. That (laughs) question is actually harder than it sounds. Um, uh, Let me give you just a a very brief perspective. Uh, And it comes from having watched the uh, progress of this uh, pandemic from what looked like uh, just a new variety of flu that started in Asia to the pandemic that uh, all of a sudden descended on us uh, in January and February of this year. In the course of the uh, progression of this disease to epidemic to pandemic and the responses that have come, what I noticed was a couple of things. One, there is a sort of, and, and this is not a criticism of anyone, it, it's just, it seems to be natural, there is a sort of narcissism in the responses and in the analytics to the responses to this thing. The first thing one worries about, of course, in the context of a disease is oneself. then one worries about one's family, then one worries about one's city, then one worries about one's uh, province, and one worries about one's state, one worries about one's nation. And by the time you're done with all of that, you are exhausted from uh, worrying, and you're focused on that, starting from the perspective that indeed the disease will have um, is to some extent fatal, um, when it is not, it can be extraordinarily uncomfortable and draining. And we are not yet sure about much about the disease other than that it's highly contagious and it has a mortality rate in it and it causes tragedies of all kinds. And so think about this, I said, well, okay. We're and, and of course this is reflected, not just in this natural tendency to start with the self and then with the, uh, the pools, the circles, um, ever widening of connection, uh, familial, societal, political, economic. Um, But it also suggested to me that in fact, when you look at that, what you saw reflected in this notion is what people have been talking about in a political terms as in the return to the state or the destruction of globalization or it's recasting uh, in light of the triumph of the local or the triumph of the state or the triumph of a politics, uh, from a period, uh, that, uh, we thought had been finished, uh, anywhere from 70 to 100 years ago. And then I thought to myself, well, you know, that's certainly the way one ought to look at this from a short-term perspective, but long-term. Globalization is not going. The interconnections and interlinkages which have refashioned the world in its societal, political, and economics uh, has not disappeared, has not changed in its entirely. It's transformed to some extent. It's been challenged. And it will, to some extent, have to evolve or develop in the face of the challenge. But it might make sense in this context to look not from the perspective of the individual blossoming out in this way to the state, but to start from the other end, the, the the other side of the analytical spectrum, where you would have started before September 2019, and which it it seemed to me had largely dissipated, except as a consequential matter. And so what we what we tried to do was to get um, some scholars, researchers, uh, and people who are in the trenches um, who are interested in and who focus on this to start by focusing on the outside that is the global context in which we find ourselves and then to work our way in so that's a long answer to a a, a short question and a
0: short and simple question well the uh the second question will be equally brief and to the point and i hope it will um result in an equally uh i don't want to use the adjective complex uh because i don't like it Uh, So I will say, I hope it will result in an equally um, intelligent, clever um, answer. So uh, uh, this far, well, um, various perspectives on the COVID-19 crisis have been considered. First and foremost, the uh, epidemiological perspective. Second, um, the perspective of you know, domestic responses to the crisis. But in your uh, in your answer, you have highlighted uh, two different kinds of responses or perspective or points of view: the individual response that leads to a focus on one's most immediate environment, and then the perspective of globalization. So, and here comes the question: um, You are famous not only for um, your work on law and international affairs, your work on China, um, you are also um, famous for your work on semiotics. So please give us a symbolic or a semiotic perspective on the virus and uh, let us understand if there are some uh, perspectives, some point of view on the virus that we have neglected some aspects of the virus that we could be looking at, but we haven't seen yet.
1: Oh, now <laughs> uh, uh,
0: so that's a very difficult question.
1: I wish I had an hour. Let me let me at least take a stab at, at but the
0: semiotics. virus as a as a sign and as a symbol.
1: Well, that's right. That's right. Um, and when we deal with semiotics, of course, we're going back to the root of meaning of the words we use, which themselves are symbolic and which themselves are redolent with meaning in the way and and that that meaning may tell us as much about the significance of this thing, the object, the virus and its interactions with humans and human society, political, economic and the like, as the virus itself. And so when when we look at this, indeed, um, you you <laughs> you really hit it on the head when you, when you suggest that to some extent, the pandemic is itself a semiotic exercise. and consciously or unconsciously, all collectives, individual collectives and some individuals have been responding to the pandemic, to the virus from a semiotic perspective. And let me give you just a couple Which, of- uh, I
0: mean we we, Um, just for our uh, viewers I want to to make it very clear that we uh, all believe that the the emergency is a very real one that the virus is a very real one and we're taking it seriously we are adopting all precautionary measures so my question about you know signs and symbols um, I mean I I wasn't trying to imply anything about the virus uh, the, the goal of the question was to to obtain a different perspective on the symbolic aspects of another otherwise extremely real, concrete and dangerous phenomenon.
1: Oh no no, and, and exactly, exactly. and I'm glad that you underlined that point, which is where I was going. So I'm going to try to give you just a couple of provocations so you can see where this is where this is coming from. And to some extent, as real as the human tragedies, Of the uh, virus are the longer term human drama that will result from the semiotics of the disease once it has dissipated, will to some extent mirror in terms of its intensity, in terms of its um effects in terms of its consequences and perhaps even in terms of its tragedy the actual human tragedy that we've seen now with uh, well over a million infected and well over a hundred thousand deaths which are just an extraordinary event for our times So let me give you a couple of provocations. Here's the first one. When you're looking at the semiotics, you're looking at the way in which we tend to use words to convey meaning and in conveying meaning to construct the reality around which the deaths, the threat of the disease can be placed and therefore serves as a guide to the only possible or the measurable best way of responding to it, right? So here's one. Wuhan virus, China virus, pandemic, the use of the choice of the words, and the battle between the Americans and the Chinese with respect to the name of the thing, itself suggests that semiotics in terms of the meaning ascribed to the virus, the virus has no nationality. The The virus virus
0: virus has no nationality. The virus knows no border. The virus is a virus
1: exactly, we- except, except as a semiotic exercise, in which case we give the virus meaning by exactly. giving it nationality, and in the process, we devote a tremendous amount of time to it, but it is, it is a exercise that isn't merely foolish. A bunch of Americans and Chinese from the respective propaganda ministries fighting over the control of a narrative, it actually will have potentially significant consequences, everything from the development of theories and applications about breaches of international human rights or uh, international human rights or other international law to the development of a case that may well be brought before the International Court of Justice. We already hear these things um, are coming, people are grumbling about this, but all of this really focuses on the semiosis of the disease itself, and semiotics not merely as an exercise of a bunch of white-haired intellectuals, but semiotics that then has bite. All right, so that's one.
0: The production, of be- the production of meanings, uh, the use of words, the, the creation of words and expressions, the creation of new meanings that do not remain confined to the realm of the academia, but produce very, very concrete effects on the, on the world around us.
1: Well, that's right. And these words draw blood. Here's another one. The morality of the virus. We talked about its nationality, But semiotics may also go to the investing of the word, of the object of the virus, with a morality. Well, to what extent is the virus moral? Uh, And in that context, we have a tremendous amount of discussion. We know the usual one. Uh, Most religious organizations will encounter the virus from a moral perspective, but they're not the only ones. Politicians have been using this uh, as a moral, uh, anvil on which they will hammer their own particular programs. There were the instances, for example, uh, on the use of law to advance moral projects that, in, in ways that may be immoral, by viewing the virus as a sign or a symbol that suggested a necessary course of action. What I'm referring to, of course, by by, by attributing by attributing a, 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 a sense of morality and, and Form of consciousness
0: to an organism that uh, I'm not a medical doctor, I'm not an epidemiologist, but I I know that viruses are neither strictly speaking, simply speaking, they are neither alive nor dead.
1: Yeah, but it's they're not not conscious organisms as uh, as such. Now remember that, of course, in the, the in in the context of semiotics, the object of the imposition of meaning, the object which becomes symbol and sign itself, has very little to say about what it is that is constructed on it, and that's what makes this actually very interesting. No one talks about the semiotics of the cold or the semiotics of my hair color, and yet meaning and consequences fall from it, but usually from outside. And so here we've got one of those consequences. And the, the reference of course was in the United States when a number of governors Um, use their emergency authority with respect to the virus to shut down everything but essential services. Some governors use that as a means of advancing what they thought was a moral position ascribed to the virus by shutting down, for example, abortion services as non-essential. and so we see that. So we, there's there's a moral object, there's a moral sensibility, a moral semiotics to this, just as there is in nationalizing the virus um, as well. But that's not the end of semiotics. Um, there is as well in the context of business and human rights, for example, the notion of the virus as having inherent within it a responsibility on those actors whose relationships may be affected by it. Uh, a great example now has been the, um, the debates that have been going on in consequence of the virus to Re, to strengthen and to redirect not just moral, but quasi, but certainly quasi legal and certainly economic responsibility onto large multinational enterprises for the welfare of downstream workers who are affected by their decisions. In one case, of course, uh, we're dealing with the garment sector, uh, a lot of it is centered in Bangladesh when uh, mostly European and American brands and multinationals have to cut their orders because um, the, their economies have shut down, the effects of that are being felt by the workers in Bangladesh rather necessarily than the consumers uh, in uh, Europe or the United States. And it felt in a much more direct and in a much more tragic way, but in a tragic way that's circular because to the extent that they no longer have orders, the local factories will no longer have work. To the extent they no longer have work, people no longer have money. To the extent they no longer have money, they will be encouraged to engage in the kind of risky behaviors that then augment the likelihood or the potential for the virus to come back and affect them again and so or the potential
0: virus. to engage in the or to, the potential to engage in the informal sector of the
1: uh, of the economy right. which but is but a lot again, more hmm? right. but again wrapped around the virus so we start with the virus we move from virus to economic <coughs> to economic responsibility grounded in law, to the consequences of the failures of that responsibility is not on states, but on uh, multinational enterprises, on production chains. And then we move from there back to the virus itself. So semiosis in this case, produces not only an effect fact that is a way in which one looks at something that is the uh, the responsibilities of the private sector but then it wraps in on itself again and becomes a medical condition as well because of the way that plays out it It seems to it it seems to me that the the the, the very simple action um
0: the very simple action to attribute uh, to make a meaning for the for the virus for COVID-19 is, at the same time, both cause and effect.
1: And that's the irony. It's not just the irony, but it's, it's actually one of the, the most extraordinary aspects of the so virus. We, the we,
0: virus. We, we have interlinked causal chains who seems to be collapsing
1: Well, on not just collapsing, but exploding.
0: Exploding, of- exploding, collapsing, or even imploding, or right. simply becoming something else that, you know, the a causal chain, as we as we think about it or as we used to think about it before uh, January, February or March 2020.
1: Right, but it's worse than that because in a sense when, and and this is a tendency of human beings anyway, um, if you start Um, placing meaning on the back of the virus, if you start reordering the way in which you approach reality on the back of the virus, eventually you're going to place so much on this virus and the event, so much semiosis on this thing that it will collapse on itself. And in collapsing on itself, the, um, the debris that is left Will cause again as much tragedy as the physical tragedy that comes from the um, the um, personal, the physical human interactions with the virus itself. So again, this is just three small yeah. things here that this we can is, talk about when we talk about the semiotic. Things, uh, uh,
0: uh, 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 and this looks like the beginning uh, of a very of a very exciting conference uh, that will be held once again on. April the 17th, 2020, 9.30 a.m., 12.30 p.m., U.S. East Coast time. Um, before we um, wrap up our interview, there is anything you would like to say to our viewers?
1: No, I'm just very excited to have this small opportunity. You've asked some <laughs> very difficult questions, which I've, uh, I've appreciated. You've, you've made me think a little bit, and I hope that uh, some of our viewers will engage with us we the conference website is open to questions inputs and, and we are
0: and we we and we are ready to take questions from, from from the public also by well through the conference website or also by by email
1: exactly right well thank you very very much
0: well thank you for uh being with us today and uh i'm really looking forward to be uh, a part of this event
1: all right thank you all right.
0: thank you bye